Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Cobblers Catch Up, a handy summary of the week's news from Sixfields. I'm Tom Reed, and this week I'm joined by Wallet regular Brendan Walsh and fresh from the US of A, James Averill, plus visual design guru. I'm bigging him up every week. Luke Bodet, <laughs> how are you doing, guys? You all right? I'm good, thanks. You? Good stuff. We'll have to go to you first, James. You've been to, like, sounds like a, you know, a dream holiday to the USA. Can you give us a brief rundown of what you got up to? Oh, yeah, went to an MLS game, saw Will Ferrell from a distance, you know, just that kind of thing. Uh, met the keyboard player from Guns N' Roses, you know, just standard <laughs> standard stuff. Nice. Was that really the keyboard player of Guns N' Roses? Are you a bit half-cut? And it's like no, we, we, were watching his, we were watching his band at the Whiskey A Go-Go, who were called Hookers and Blow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't realise that it was the keyboard player from Guns N' Roses. And yeah, yeah, yeah it was an interesting, interesting night that was. Whereabouts in America was that? That was it in the, the famous Sunset Strip at Las Vegas. I did five days in Chicago as well, where they they dye the river green for St. Yeah. Patrick's Day, and it looks like it's going to produce, you know, that three-eyed fish in The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. It looks so <laughs> toxic uh, that it's going to produce that. But yeah, it was good. Saw ice hockey uh, as well when that was a, as a fan experience, and that was incredible. I quite like ice hockey. I don't really understand what's going on half the time, but um, it's, you know, it's, quite, it's quite a good uh, visual watch. And we've got a new um, club name for the cobblers if they ever fold, Hookers and Blow FC. It's not a real mixture, <laughs> isn't it? Like, absolutely perfect. I think we'd actually, if you put it that, it, you would get a, probably a massive crowd, but probably not the sort of people you want. Um, yeah, I was only saying like in terms of the uh, keyboard player, because um, wasn't it you, Brendan, that thought you met uh, Dale Winton on a night out but in Northampton? But it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, we've been over that story. Yeah, yeah, we won't go back into that. We've before. Yeah. Sean Dyche. Um, it's actually a lot more sort of fun talking about that stuff than the Cobblers game against Bristol Rovers because it's one of those games where you sort of have a good, you know, beer beforehand and you're getting ready for it and then you sit down in your seat and then a goal within a minute. Yeah. Um, Brendan, like, was it was it poor defending? Should the, the goalie have got closer to it? Is it just one of those, you know, counter-attacks or whatever that you can't really stop? It's, it's always going to... It wasn't even that. If I was sat right in front of it because I was in the north stand on Saturday, afraid yeah. of his back pass. The angle was tight. And as Roberts came out to get it, I think he, he got it just under him through his legs. You know, some a lot of the time they miss, sometimes they go in. It was interesting that that's the first goal we conceded in the opening 15 minutes all season, where we were one of the one of the only, if not the only team to, to not have conceded in the opening 15 like. Uh, definitely in League Two, but it might have been in the EFL. So it shows like we've we've always been a strong starter and not great at closing out games. And uh, literally, I, I think it was after 40 seconds, 
And after that, I turned to my mate and I was like, we might as well go now. And I don't want to be defeatist, <laughs> but you just, you, you, you can't give a Joey Barton Bristol Rovers side an inch to defend. Because that like, they, they showed when we were away, when they took the lead, that last half an hour, 40 minutes of the game, I reckon the ball was in play and moving three minutes of it. And it was a whole 90 minutes of that on Saturday. The ref was atrocious, not just in some of his decisions that he, he made that were bad, but in, in his management of the game. And his, he was like willing to let Bristol do what they did, I think, as well. Like You have to have a ref on your side in those games that wants to see a good game of football. And that referee didn't. Um, and it, yeah, it's one of those... It, it, the, the Doom and Gloom Cobbers fans will, will always be out. Um, that That's one of those games where I'm just like, it's going to happen to a couple of teams every season. You come up against the biggest um, shit houses in the league. They are the best at it. They get, they would give Keith Carl a run for the money. Uh, <laughs> and we just didn't, you know, we still hit the crossbar twice. We didn't, we didn't have enough to, to get past them on the day, but we don't have to play them again. Again, thank fuck. I can't. I can't stand that football. I can't stand Joey Barton as a person, as a manager. So that's the positive I'm taking from it. Is that unless somehow we get them in the playoffs, we don't have to pay them again this season. And that's what I'm dreading as well now. Now I've said it. I think you quite like Bristol Rovers. No, I can't stand them. Can't stand the club. Uh, I mean, we'll get on to um, we'll get into a bit of Joey Barton later. We made a few comments which um, rolled a few people. For me, I felt Bristol Rovers, although there was gamesmanship going on, of course, they just seemed to have a slight bit more movement up front, I think. And they were, yeah, they just seemed to be able to swarm the goal at the right time. I don't know about you, James. Yeah, we, we didn't, we had a lot of the ball, didn't we, throughout the whole game for, you know, like Brendan said, it wasn't in play for, for much of the 90 minutes. But when it was, we did have the majority of it. But yeah, we didn't, we created a couple of chances. Obviously, there was the Paul Lewis um save um and then there was the two efforts where we hit the woodwork from uh that was about it bristol rovers uh, did look kind of better on the ball i would say but didn't actually create any chances other than the one we gave them and you know that the first 10 minutes were was so shaky you know we, we've seen fraser horsefall turn into kind of like prime fabio cannavaro over the last kind of uh 18 months but the first 10 minutes it was like he had kian bolger back alongside him you know he, he looked he looked, played like he was drunk for the first time so i don't quite know why you can't you can't have a go at him because he's been absolutely sensational um and and obviously you know you know lower league players are going to make mistakes um but yeah a, a bit like brendan said I, I pretty much had the same view as like as soon as that goal went in it just had that feel yeah that that feels like game over already and in fairness to bristol rovers and i don't like you know, for, for for obvious reasons with Joey Barton, um, you don't want to give them credit, but they did do a job on us, and they absolutely played the referee well and proper. I mean, some of the some of the decisions were laughable. Uh, I mean, the the one on Tyler McGlaw, I actually yeah. burst out laughing at the time. I was like, sorry, he's he's injured, but he's given it to them. And then you look back at the video, and it's even worse on video than than it seemed at the time. And yeah, you know, they just played the referee good and proper. And, you know, it, every team, you know, is, can do it. You know, we were good at the dark arts for a while with, with Charlie Good. I don't think we, we did it to quite that extent, but um, every team will, will adopt it at some point. And um, they, they did it very well at Sixfields on Saturday. Yeah, it's a well-rounded review to me. Um, Luke, 
do you yeah. what do you see in Bristol Rovers uh perhaps making them having a bit of a an upwards trajectory and what do you see in cobblers that's with maybe looking uh behind their backs a bit well I actually spoke to people before and I don't think the two clubs are that dissimilar I think they've obviously renowned for having a very good fan base they get what eight thousand or something like that weekly I think it was I saw um and I mean I remember when they went down to the non-league, I thought, you know, it might be the end of them. And they had that resurgence. And I think they're a club at that time who, you know, they signed, I think, was it Billy Bowden, uh, a couple of other players from League Two who were really big names. I think they've got that a bit of ambition that the Cobblers, I would say we haven't had it. We just haven't been as successful at it, if you get what I mean. Like, I, I always think back to uh, the League Two season when we got promoted in 2019 and the signings we made that season. I thought there were some signs of intent in that year. Um, but I think the difference between the two clubs is when they go to League One, they invest to stay in League One. We seem to not not as much do it, if you go. I mean, we, we seem to try mm. and buy players who could do a job but aren't going to be the players to progress you. Mm. We don't invest for the future. We invest for right now to keep us where we are to make sure we don't sink, sort of. And that's I think that's one of our biggest issues as a Cobblers fan. I mean, I might be wrong. And we'll see the game differently. But I think one of Cobbler's biggest issues is they're prepared to go for it to get out of League Two. But as soon as they get to League One, they're not prepared to do what's necessary to stay in it. We try and buy players who have done it before, but are a bit half chances. A lot of, yeah. you know, signs like that. And like people like Bristol Rovers, you should, when they go up, they usually buy some sort of players who will be key players to keep them up. And to be fair, maybe that's because they have more money. I don't really know too much about the club mm. and how it's run. But yeah, you yeah. could you could say though, Luke. I mean. They are in League Two, though. And, well, no, they and, are. They haven't quite as yo-yoed as uh, drastically as us, but they have been up and down, I think, twice over the last 10, 15 years. It's, you know, and I think I think you're right when you say that they're not a million miles away from us. Like, we both get sizable support down. We, we both, we're both arguably too big for League Two, but maybe haven't done the stuff necessary to progress out of League One. Um both have got pretty uh, questionable grounds, in my opinion, um, and you can't get a pint in the way in. Now we see where the where the hatred lies and why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing though. You you see all these uh, like fan accounts and they like to rank the big clubs and you know these clubs shouldn't be in League Two and Bristol always get painted with that brush because they 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 travel. But then if you're a club like I always think Northampton travel pretty well and. We, we get uh, good numbers down because no no one's we're like the League Two team. I, I've seen a stat. I think we've won more games than any other team in League Two or something like that. Well, Brendan, I was going to say if, if you talk about things, if you look at the league leaders in Forest Green, they took what 142 here yeah. as league leaders. We went to Carlisle and took double that. I mean, yeah. I know it's only three four hundred still. It's not massive, but for the I mean, seven-hour journey there, uh, yeah. You know, it was nice know. to see. Uh, it was nice to see a big gate. It sort of reminded me of games of the past I was saying to my mate that I remember like big away followings were pretty normal I remember Gillingham used to bring the loads mm. like not a particularly big club um but I, I do feel that Bristol Rovers are not a sleeping giant but they coming just from Bristol which is a very dynamic quite a cool city they are potentially well placed to if they get things sorted out to do well in League One but um let's talk about about a couple of the talking points. Um, just just from a, a beautiful aesthetic point, Brendan, was it Pinnock shot off the crossbar? It would have been goal of the season. Like um, would have I, been I a Yaboa style goal. 
I was just shouting, no, no, no. I, just, I could see it going in. I, I was right behind it. And I was, that would have just made it for me. Like, we, we rarely get that at Cobbers. Like, we just get a goal out of nothing and, and, yeah. and one of them. Um, and, and it felt like it was something like that was going to be the only chance we had to break them down, to be honest. Like, mm. I guess we hit the crossbar from a set piece. But I think that, that when, when a team comes to do a job on you, you're not going to, you know, get let off with set pieces. That was the one we got, and it didn't bounce in for us. Um, and, and and then after that, it felt like the only way we were going to do it was if they made a mistake, which they didn't, or someone just produced something way out of the ordinary. Mm. And it, I mean, you meant you said we we're going to go on to it. I have to I have to mention it. You know, Barton saying that we didn't play football and we played. I I can't. I can't remember an opposition side. I watched Curl for two years, so I've seen us do it, but I can't remember an opposition side that just refused to play the game as much as Bristol have in both games we played them this year. That, that Like, absolute glass. Anytime anyone went near them, they didn't want the ball in play. The the, uh, the It was just, it was ridiculous. And, uh, and I would be gutted if we get them in the playoffs, not because I don't think we can beat them, because we could beat anyone on our day, but just because I don't want to have to watch two games of that again they're, they're the worst team I've seen in this league for years probably since Cole's side a couple of years ago we can we can go on to that now and it's actually you're quite a chilled guy Brendan I think generally but <laughs> I, my point is going to be that Cobblers fans need to get a bit more chill with things like this I know obviously Joe Barton it's hard to distinguish between the off the field stuff or on the field stuff but just generally on the on field stuff we just got to ignore him because he's had the Cobblers fans in bits all week. Everyone's been tweeting about it. He called us a jumped-up rugby team, right? Yeah. Um. Obviously, we're not a jumped-up rugby team, but he, in my opinion, he has got a little bit of a point about our playing style. But some, you know, you can give Brady a bit of slack on that. Some things have gone wrong in, with injuries and stuff. But you just you just can't give this guy any oxygen because when you give him oxygen, and I, I, I saw even the um the groundsman, I think he made a quip about the the grass being left long, and the groundsman was tweeting about it. Oh, I'm going to be cutting the. Just don't just have a bit of chill, Cobblers fans. Take, ignore the I guy. Get it. Ignore I think, these managers. That's my point. But then, like we we don't when we lose the odd game or or like we've had a bit of a you could call it a sticky run, but we're still in the automatic places in the league. People get really negative, so I see. Barton go and say that and then I want to defend the club because I don't want like the the already negative Cobblers fans to like jump on the bandwagon I don't want do you know what I mean like yeah, I was I, I was stood, I watched the warm-up for once on Saturday I wasn't in the pub before and we were watering the game during the war it's just lies it's just blatant <laughs> lies like you shouldn't be allowed to just go around and just make shit up like this ship still I, got you now Brendan he's still got you even I now know he does. I know he does <laughs> He is a very, very small human being and nobody <laughs> loves him. And I can say that on this podcast and, and it doesn't matter. Like, it, he he thinks he can go around and say whatever he wants and it's going to come back and bite him in the arse one day. Um, <laughs> he was a very average player and he's a less than average manager. And the quicker we realise that, the better. And I hope he's fucking listening too. <laughs> Fuck you, Joey. I think you could have the last someone. word on it because I, I think he's probably padded for his next game unless he just interrupts his... Uh... <laughs> He's built up to say, yeah, and that Brendan from the Fabson. Oh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think, I just think you've got to ignore him and don't, because you just when you just like go, when you sort of like let him affect you, it shows he's winning to an extent. Um, let's just move off that subject quickly. Um, let's move on to something a little bit more positive. I, in fact, it sort of feeds into your 
I don't, I don't think Cobblers fans are a negative per se. I think we've just got a few more that are a bit more realistic, realistic now. Um, and Abimbola, Peter Abimbola got on and was taken off, wasn't he? Um, and it was, you know, I've been calling in for, for him for a while, especially with injuries. And I noticed a couple of people were saying, you know, his passing was a bit astray and X, Y and Z. But can you imagine like being thrown in? for a, de- a debut essentially in those circumstances in a very high pressure game um with Joe Barton um, squeaking in your ear um it's just he I think the guy did pretty well I think it's a real um, brilliant thing that he got on because young player Northampton players haven't really got on under um, Brady really you know I, I was thinking with Pollock and I just think out of, out of the day for me that was a, a real real positive and that guy needs time that guy is going to need 50, you know, 100 games to find his feet, not one game. Um, James, do you see where I'm coming from? You, you need patience with these guys, don't you, these young these young Cobblers players? You do. And, you know, there was a couple a couple of guys behind me saying, oh, he, you know, he's he's not very strong, is he? Well, duh, he's 18, you know. He's coming in, he's, he's a boy coming into a man's game. I thought he did pretty well, the circumstances. Like you said, that was a tough game to be thrown into. Yeah. Particularly, the one, the pressure of, you know, two teams going for promotion and two, the way Bristol Rovers were playing that particular game. So that was, that was a difficult game to be thrown into. And I thought he, he did well enough. Um, yeah. Like you say, it, it takes time for, for, for these players to, to find their feet. You know, you think back to Sean McWilliams and his game has developed a, a fair amount since he first started, you know, um, yeah. he's, he's, he's added, you know, some better passing to, to, to his range and, uh, it, it does take time. Uh, I was I was happy to see him come on. Actually, they weren't they were originally going to bring on Lubala, weren't they? And I was I was just thinking about it in my head, going, I can't see what formation we're gonna we're gonna play here. And I was actually kind of happy to see right now. Let's put around peg in you know in in a round hole etc. Let let's get the guy on. We've got no other centre midfield options on the bench, but let's put yeah. the centre midfielder in there and show some faith in him. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think some people will go, "Oh, they took him off." I, th- I think I can see why why Brady did it. You know, I, and I don't think it was a reflection on his performance. And you know, you, if you'd ask Peter Abimbola at the start of the day, you're, you're going to get you know 70 minutes, which is probably what he got. He'd have been absolutely thrilled. So I don't think you know he, he would necessarily think being taken off was a reflection of his performance. And yeah. you know, it, Brady did you know did look like he was explaining to him why he, he was taking him off as, as he did it. And he seemed to take it in, you know, in, in, in the correct way. So if it wasn't you know, a promotion uh, game. If it wasn't a promotion game, you don't take him off, do you? It's just that pressure cooker atmosphere and everything high stakes as well. I can sort of see where Brady's coming from, James. Yeah. But I, th- I think it's good, good to hear that um, Pollock's going to be called back. I, I, I found it a little bit mysterious, <laughs> to be honest, that, that's what he said after the game. I could be wrong. I thought I'd read that that he was gonna yeah, yeah, he was yeah. gonna be recalling Max Deitch and, and Scott Pollock. Um, really? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was. I think it's a good thing. I was a little bit mystified why we got sent Pollock out on on loan. I know they're saying he needs game time, etc. I, I thought he could get game time with us. If if I'm honest, he's never let us down yeah. when he's he played now. with us. I think he. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think he's got a bit of a creative spark that, that at times we look like we need. So um, maybe we'll see a yeah. bit more Scott Pollock. Yeah, I just, God knows what the poor lad's morale is like, you know, sent out to National League North or whatever. And so I'm not, I don't think particularly kind comments from Brady about his, you know, 
abilities in certain areas and then brought back when he sort of needed so you sort you can imagine you, you understand if he was like well sod you you know you didn't want me then what you why do you want me now but I think you know as an ambitious and he just seems quite a fairly level-headed player that Pollock will just be like you know just try and just try and do my best with this situation um Luke Abimbola yeah. quickly um you know we've we're talking about patience of a player we've been we're patient now with Sam Hoskins 600 games in um, surely we can be patient with um, Abimbola for a few more games. Well, I think it's just nice to see us um, give trust to a youth player. Yeah. I, I, the one thing I've been critical of, and I'm sure people have seen it on Twitter, and I've been criticised for saying this all the time, but I stand by it. We don't ever give players the time mm. or even the opportunities. Like I know there must be reasons, and I know I'm not a football coach, and I don't see him training, and don't be like I can name like Joe Fiano when he was here. And then obviously there was Roberts, Whaler, who got a couple of games but didn't really play. Uh, Hughes came on and sent it back in the one game. I mean, yeah. granted he didn't do too great, but you know, still didn't give, give him a chance. Even yeah. back in the old days, you got people like Snedker, goalkeeper I've recently remembered because I saw it on Twitter the other day, and he was a guy who got a few games in goal, never came yeah. again. Yeah. So for me personally, I just we've had one senior player come from the academy in the last five seven years, and that's Sean McWilliams. Um, and I would just personally like to see us put a bit more faith or utilise our academy a bit more and give yeah. some players a chance of just bringing in loan after loan after loan. But I mean, that's part of a personal opinion, but it was good to see the boy come on and, you know, get given some minutes. And I hope, you know, he develops into a player who can be a really good asset for us. Yeah, well said. And if these players don't get game time in the first team in, in, in the Football League, you completely chop out that X factor, that unknown thing of, of having the home support behind you of playing with better professionals and the progression that players make because players don't always make progression in an arc that's just you know from start to finish you go up and then you're at the top of your game you know people can progress at the age of 22 people can progress at the age of 24 people can progress at the age of 16 14 whatever they can go in different spurts and i think when you don't give them the opportunity that you know you you, you deny them that and you know you i think and i think the guy from quickly, I just I think it's the guy from Exeter, and he said that you just got to, you've got to trust them, you've got to um, have a have a you know a, a philosophy and a, and a setup which which does which does trust them, and you've got to have patience, and then you know we've seen Exeter have sold players for millions of pounds, and sorry, what were you going to say? I'll say sorry. To, the That's biggest right. one I was going to say is Crew. I mean, the yeah. year Crew got promoted, they had the likes of Charlie Kirk, Perry Eng, or Eng, I don't know how you say his name, Harry Pickering. <laughs> Uh, they had a couple of players in midfield as well. And I remember seeing a stat at 68% of their players in their first team squad were under the age of 25. And something like 54, I think it was, percent of the players in the squad were from academy, like brought up. And then yeah. people, because people say, like, when I say this about coppers, they said, yeah, but we're a small club. As soon as we get a good player, they're offloaded, a bit like Chuck Manka and stuff. And, you know, like it's hard to keep hold of these players. But then I look at the likes of MK, Oxford, Crew. I mean, it's X to, like, so there's people in our league who do it. And I just think if they can do it, then why can't win? It'd just be nice to see us, if at least if not give the players a chance, at least then try and like, I don't know, take it a different direction maybe. Maybe instead of just relying on them to, you know, come in when we need them, maybe set up an under 23s team. And I know that costs a bit more money, but mm. I think that'd be something that's beneficial to the club. Because mm. if, if that's a case where they need a bit of time to develop, you know, mature, get a bit of strength on them and stuff to compete in the men's game, they're set up an under 23s put them into that, give them time to get game time experience and, you know, grow and then hopefully be good enough at that point and then get into the first team and start competing for the Coppers. 
Because mm. that's personally, I think, what a lot of people like to see, and it's what I'd like to see. But it's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult for Brady because I reckon as a manager, you know, no matter what anyone says, the first thing you're thinking about is keeping your job, feeding your yeah, family. So that's the first thing. So when you've got a ready-made player, he's probably not that, maybe not that good, but he's going to give you a six out of ten. He's going to do the business. Or you've got a young player, might give you a nine, might give you a six. You, a lot of the time you're going to uh, go with the, 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 the experienced guy, aren't you? And, of course. Yeah. But, but under that, you've got the academy, which is essentially a factory. It's churning out players, it's churning out players. You know, the under 18s yeah. always very well. They're always winning whenever I watch them. They've got that guy, Jack Connor, I think, up front, scores loads of goals. Yeah, and that Nguyen, I think his name is, he's in around the first team. So you've got all mm. those players coming through. So really, if you're going to have an academy, you must have some sort of responsibility to play some of them. Um, it's almost like having a, you know, a cake cake factory where you're making loads of cakes. It's a crap analogy, but making loads of cakes. And then you've got at the end of it, a guy like choosing whether he, he wants to sell them or not and chucking loads in the bin because, yeah. to his whim, essentially. You know, it's a really difficult, difficult system. See, I would love to yeah. find a stat out which says how many players in the last however many years, how many players have been in the academy, how many have made it to the first team and how many have actually played. I'd Honestly, I'd love if someone ever found that stat to show me it because it's, mm. it's something I'd like to see. Because... Uh, I don't know, it's just a weird one. It's, it's like, I was going to say, it didn't even have to be Academy. I was thinking about a couple of years back when we had Billy Bowden here. The young lad didn't really get given a chance. Mm. We thought he wasn't good enough. He went to um, Bristol Rovers, smashed it, and then he's gone to Preston, ended up becoming a championship player. And it's like, there's just players, I get, obviously, it's, I, I understand, it depends at the club, everything could change, but like, you could say, in Cobbler's sense, ah, oh, not his youngster, but you know, Ricky Holmes didn't really do it at Portsmouth, but he came to Northampton, became one of the best players in the league. Like, it, it's just timing and work with different people, systems. I know it's all that stuff. I just think, I think one of the things as a couple of times that frustrates me over the last few seasons as well, and I don't know if this is a financial issue or if it's, I don't know what, we seem to get a lot of loan players and they all seem to be young loan players and they seem to be the ones that stop the uh, academy players pulling through. Because we'd rather put our trust in the Premier League's youth than our own, which I do understand. That, again, it makes sense because they're probably a better, yeah. you know, better standard than ours. But it's just like, well, obviously they do do well. We go to League One, but they don't come back. Then who do we get to replace that? Yeah, exactly. And that links back to what I was saying earlier that we don't build for the future. We build for where we yeah. are right now. Yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. It's just it's just treading water to an extent, and that's understandable when you've got. Not only is uh, John Brady trying to keep his job, you've got the the chairman essentially has to try and you know um, look after the jobs of all the staff. So it's uh, the decisions are always often made in a very conservative way, which is sort of understandable. But then after a, a few years, you do sort of reckon, well, let's just we've got to try something else now. But um, let's move on from the that, that sort of angle. Um, we've got eight games left to play. Um, we'll go to you on that, Brendan. Let's try and find the list. Okay, so the eight games we've got left are. Hartlepool on Saturday, which is another big game at Sixfields. Should be a good day again. Nice weather, hopefully. Um, Mansfield, uh, Bradford, Oldham, Harrogate. Quite a uh, northern angle there. Then Leighton Orient goes south again. Leighton Orient, Exeter and Barrow. Um, Brendan, obviously it's sort of squeaky bum time now. And some fans have been pessimistic about it. Some fans think cobblers can rally and sort themselves out. How do you see it going? I think there was, uh, I, I always tweet, um, there's a table you can look at and it shows your results against other teams relative to their positions in the table. And our trend was always that we, we, we were better at home and we always dispatched of the teams lower down and we always like did well out of points in the playoff teams. It was the bigger games right at the top that we struggled with and mid-table. 
And then the last couple of games have just thrown that kind of form book out the window, really. You know, we we, we uh, lost to Carlisle, but, you know, albeit they're a form team now in the league. They're on their little resurgence. We beat Tranmere, won away against Stevenage and then lost at home to Bristol. So it's all the kind of takeaways where I was looking at it with 12 games to go and looking at where we we're going to pick up points is all completely different to what I thought. So is it, there's a there's kind of a comfort in that because I'm sure there's a lot of people like in their head already counting how many points we've got there, but you, you just can't, you can't know. On paper, we have the easier running. We have um, a lot of the, the lower down teams to play. I think we've only got two kind of top half teams left to play and that's Exeter and, and Mansfield um, or, or kind of, you know, you'd say the, the playoff chasing bunch Which, and, and only one of those is away. So it's, you could say on paper, but then I always like to say the teams down the bottom are, are fighting for just as much as the teams at the top at the end and how often do they pull off upsets. So I'm trying to just enjoy the ride and just, uh, uh, and take each game as it comes. Um, it's the one time of the season where I probably don't look at too far in the future, um, especially with all the injuries and everything we've got at the moment. I don't think we've we've got any momentum or kind of consistency to take into it. So every game is its own prospect properly at the moment. So Hartlepool's another unique test on Saturday. We, we It would be great to get back to winning ways, um, but who knows what team we'll, we'll put out and, and what we can expect. Yeah, I... Anything can happen. I didn't expect us to, you know, go up under Keith Carl. I wasn't thinking that football was going to do anything. And then, you know, we smashed it in the final, like absolutely trounced Exeter. So well, anything can happen here on in. But just that, we're going to that in a minute. The weakness in midfield is, you know, troublesome. And yeah, the bench never looked particularly healthy at the moment. Um, yeah. So James, out of those games, is there any that you sort of consider, you know, fairly winnable? Or are you just sort of, just is it just sort of? Every game as it comes now, and we'll just see what happens. I mean, looking at them, looking at the fixtures now, yeah, the, the what we should win them, with the exception, I would say, of Exeter, Mansfield, and Bradford could potentially throw a, a curveball with you know the new manager bounce potentially. Um, the rest are very winnable, very winnable, uh, but <laughs> you know, it's it's so close it's so ridiculously close i can't remember um as tight a race for promotion as this in league two in in many a year you know just looking at the table now exeter second 65 points mansfield town 10th 59 um and they've got three in hand remember exactly so yeah. they win those three games in hand they're second uh yeah. and if salford and 11th win they're two in hand they're a point outside the play it's it's always ridiculously close isn't it i just that Mansfield game was the one for me. I think if we lose that, then you struggle to keep any momentum and, and I, we might even drop out the playoff spots. But if we win that, I think that's a, a big scalp of probably one of the form teams in the league. And, you you know, even if you don't quite make autos, then you go into the uh, the playoffs feeling really good. I think that's like a season decider, really. But we can't take our eye off Hartlepool on Saturday or we won't even be in contention for Mansfield. So it's just that time of the season. And it's, it's one of those, I think, when you get towards the end of the season, I, I tend to think the teams with momentum are, are going to mm. go over the line. And you look at Bristol Rovers, you know, four wins in a row in a really good, really good place. Uh, Newport County, admittedly, they lost the last game, but, you know, on a really good run of form. Exeter, you know, also, you know, you tend to 
favour those teams, I would say, at the end, teams that are in momentum, you know, even Forest Green, you know, they look so far ahead. Um, they're probably still going to do it, but they're on a dreadful run of form, you know, um, and it's it's so difficult to predict who where anyone is, is, is going to finish. Uh, my main concern is, 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 is goals for us, you know. Other than the period when we played 4-2-3-1 and we had a Tete up front, we have been heavily reliant on set pieces. And you do just start to fear, have we been found out a little bit? Um, hopefully not. You know, hopefully we keep enough clean sheets and get enough kind of, you know, grind out enough 1-0 wins to, to get us over the line. Um, but we're in there and, and you know, that that's all you'd, you'd want at the start of the season. Yeah. You can't look a gift horse in the mouth. You know, that's that, that old chestnut. Because... Playing in League One, they often uh, play teams that we want to be playing against, maybe Peterborough next year, um, and uh, bigger attendances, bigger away followings. So that is always good for the football club. Then you've got the thing of sort of being the yo-yo club, maybe dropping back down. Um, I, I guess trying to sort of make sense of it all. For me, I've, I haven't been that bothered about promotion for a little bit because I just do think we're slightly ahead of schedule. As, as, as I've said before, John Brady's probably overachieving in his, especially wise, but the league position definitely, and that we're probably two or three, maybe four players now away from a promotion side. And if we did stay down and we've had a right our crack at it this season, I, I wouldn't definitely not be um, slating the club. Probably the fans, some fans will say that we've thrown it away a bit, but no, I, I wouldn't at all. And yeah, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, Luke, for you, just can you see us as a, a promotion side now, or you, you think we're faltering, or do you think we'll pick up? That's a lot of things to answer. <laughs> Honestly, I wish I could answer that question. Um, I, I don't know, because I, I do back myself. I'm a bit of a reactionary fan. I can, my mood can, it can change depending on one match day, one thing or another. Um, originally, originally, I thought we have a good run in hand. Like The only team I'm really scared about playing from now to the season, I believe, is Mansfield, really, because they've got games in hand. They've been 15 games without losing. So I thought, you know, we've got a decent run in. But then I think, you know, Sean Williams is out. We have no, and Mal Gore also out. So we have no cover for CDM, which, as we've seen over the season, is really, really bad for us. Because I feel like that, I feel like Sean Williams actually, we give the um, defence um, the credit they, which they deserve because they have done very well this season. I do think Sean Williams in front of them just gives them that little bit of security where, you know, they don't have to work as hard, they don't have to lose formation as much. And I think with him out, Salby is a bit of a loose cannon at the moment with his knocks. Don't mean to be a bit of a downer, but I don't really have faith in our attackers to get the goals we need to win games. So it, it all comes down to really if we can keep the clean sheets going, which we haven't done yet. So at this moment in time, I'm, I think we'll get playoffs, to be honest. I don't see us getting above Mansfield or really Newport, to be honest, at this moment in time, because Newport are flying with their goals of, I mean, Telford up front with, I've got the other guy's name, but you know the two strikes they have, and so for me personally, this moment time, I think we get playoffs. Mm, yeah, fair enough. I think we've been hamstrung to an extent, not by the recruitment. I don't think the recruitment was poor, but just some bad luck with injuries. So you've got yeah. Zimba was out injured pretty much straight away. Epia pretty much ditto. Canu ditto. Um, we seem to sort of have a bit of a, a light squad, which is understandable. Pandemic, financial restraints, blah blah blah. So we're always I also the edge with that, and those three that I've mentioned, that they're just every player counts, don't don't they? And it's just uh, it was a bit of, bit of a killer. Yes. They've all been out at the same time. So I was going to say, I also think 
the biggest loss, which people aren't agreeing, I think Atete was bigger than people will give it credit for. I think that yeah. man made things happen. That, that There could be a loose ball going down out the wing and he would make something happen, whether he just got possession and got us into a good position, whether he's the one who went and scored the goal. I mean, a great example of it was when we played Cambridge in the Cup and he scored that goal where he just went over the top, he shouldered off his man, got into the box and slid at home. And I think losing someone with that sort of presence in attack who can bully defenders, you know, give you every opportunity to try and get a chance. And I think just before he left, really, he was actually hitting some form of goals as well. So I feel like he's a bigger loss than I think a lot of people realise. I mean, one thing we didn't really, I know we've, we've said before, we didn't sign any cover for, for McWilliams' role or we haven't had the creativity in field. But for all the strikers and attacking threat, we did sign. And I thought we filled some some holes in the squad with pace and, and um, maybe some technique. But I watched Apare in a game where Bristol Rovers aren't coming to play football on Saturday. And we couldn't make the ball stick up top. We couldn't really... We couldn't. Uh, Brady likes to transition really quickly. And one way to do that is hit it to someone who will hold the ball up for a second or two and allow everyone to get up the pitch. Yeah. And build your attack from there. And Apare's too lightweight to do that against a defence like Bristol. I, I, I like the kid. I think there's a lot there in yeah. the future for him. But Atete was like his goal scoring was where he had to improve on. I think his hold up play was the best thing about his game. We don't Definitely. even have really a striker who can hold up, I'd argue in that squad. I think Epi is more in behind. Zimba is the is the best off-the-ball striker we have at the club, and I think we've had for a long time. He just can't seem to finish for the love and the money. He's got brilliant <laughs> movement. I watch him off the ball, and he has the movement of a player a lot higher divisions than he is. But we don't have anyone that, you, you know, um, like a Vidane Oliver or, Ke- or a Tete, even a Harry Smith, someone like that. Like, so, not always get Rico off the bench. But, bringing it down on their on their chest, you know what I mean? But isn't that also, Brendan, about the, the support? And I, I can't even remember the guy's name. The guy that went to play for Bohemians or someone came from Hull. He's, uh, he's, he's Flores. Like in Flores, Flores yeah, right? Yeah, so you have Flores. He was, I, at the time, built up as quite a you know creative player to do the support. Then you've got Kanu as well. It, it seems to me that is a major area area of problem, the, the, the creative um, players behind the, the forwards, essentially. I don't, I don't really know. The thing is, the one thing you could say for Cole, he had very clear way of playing, clearly, and and the the kind of roles that you were in the squad. He had he had the big man and he had the little man. He had the backup for the little man. He had the backup for the big man. He had he had depth in all of the roles that he wanted in the squad. The yeah. players that we signed in January, I think we all said, no one would have said no to Labala or or Kanu or the players of that ilk. But then it didn't really fit necessarily with the play that we were playing. And I, I think when the when the injuries have happened this season, we've ended up with like some of the old players that have been here for a while or were here when Brady took over. And some of the new, we're kind of, when you say we're ahead of schedule, that's what I'm seeing at the moment. We're kind of stuck in transition with a couple of ways of playing. Yeah. The Tete, losing the Tete, to replace him with the strikers we've had, who are all different, it seems a bit nonsensical. And, and I, I thought... Apare was was quite hard working and could maybe hold a ball up and then Saturday kind of changed my mind on that because when the push came to the shove in, in a really brutal game like that he didn't he couldn't do it we he was quite poor at it. he lost the ball quite a lot um, and we were clearly trying to make something stick on him and it, yeah it, that that Saturday was the first time I was like I don't really know where the identity is here you can say mm. with the injuries that he's had that force but yeah, I, I think that the, the lads Brendan. coming back on loan and it, and if Abin Bola can can um can get some more minutes, we might be able to get closer to a consistent shape. But 
that, like James said, consistency and momentum is key right now because it'll either see us into the autos or we don't want to be losing the last couple of games, scrape seventh place and go into the uh, playoffs in that sort of form because we'll lose. I was we going to say consistency at the moment. That's that. That's what we've struggled on this little run where people have started to get negative and you know we win one draw and lose one etc we need the consistency back um and 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 that starts i think with the players you're picking and the identity that you have as a team i was i was going to say as well back on that uh, you said about the january and i signed all these strikers question to all of you here do you think losing martin foil was a bigger loss than mm. any player we've had this year because if you think about the top players we signed this season the ones that yeah. we want like liam roberts mcgowan so they were signed they were scouted by martin foil since he's the Scottish, the Scottish link, wasn't it? Or the, yeah. the players that I, came from Scotland. I think, did Pinnock come from Scotland? I can't remember. They're, yeah, they're, they, they all came yeah, from Scotland. They all come from Scotland. You, you, you look at it, we've had Martin Fall has had two spells as recruitment uh, as head of recruitment here. The first yeah. was the season we won the title, and the second is this season. So, uh, you know, he's clearly found some good players for us. And yeah. I think what, what I would say about the signings that Foyle has made is that they're, ca- they're characters on the pitch as well as being yeah. good footballers. And I think that's where particularly Wilder and Neil really put a lot of their energy. And it seemed to be what the the brunt of the pre-season um, uh, recruitment was about. I would say the January recruitment, none of them have really... Stood out as kind of being leaders on the pitch, if you know what I mean. They're, they're, they're mm. more technical players, aren't they? So I think it's interesting mm. to see that there's always almost been kind of like a you can see the difference in in the kind of recruitment. I think within, do you know what though, the like the thing I, I've thought of with Martin Foyle, Brady was talking about it a lot, even when because Foyle left between uh, when the last when the summer transfer window ended and January started. They, they, it's not like they get to January first and then he would have given them a list of players. They're long-term targets. And a lot of them, he said, like, we either tried to get them in the summer or the loan signings. You know, you talk to them pretty much all season about when they're going to come. I don't think we'll see any negatives to Foyle leaving even now. Like, And it, as much as he did really well to find um, Pinnock and a couple of other players in the summer, there's a lot of duds there as well. That, you know, Connolly, mm. Connolly and Flores, like we just said, they didn't even make it to a full season. So whilst he, he signed some good players, we, he's I don't think losing him is like, we can just blame everything. I think that I'm really happy with the backroom setup, to be honest, at Cobbers. I think it's the best thing we got in terms of connection to the club, long term, um, wants to be there. Uh, and if Foyle wanted to go and take up a different role somewhere else, welcome to go do that. And I don't. But at I don't the same think... time, Brendan. At the same time, we don't know yet what effect it's going to have, really, because you know you put these players in. I think that these people in. I think that's maybe why they've moved. Instead of having one head of recruitment, they're going to have regional scouts. So if one... Yeah, I think we'll see it more... That's probably a smart thing to do, but it might still have an effect, Brendan. I don't think we can just say that it... No, no, no. I'm just saying I I would have loved to see him. I don't think that it's negative this window. I think uh, I would have loved to have it. If we do get promoted, I think we'll miss having someone with that plan going into League One because we all know that's where we've fallen down in the last couple of years is not recruiting mm. right going into League One and, and not... that's that's where I see us like really feeling that a lot more I don't the signings in January are, are, are hit and miss but I think a lot of those would have been Martin Foyle's kind of picks anyway do you know what I mean and on paper none of, none of them were like glaringly obvious bad signings we've just been so unlucky with injuries yeah so let's move on to the off the field stuff we have to talk about it the I remember speaking to James a couple of weeks ago whether it was the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning of the six fields uh, land saga that's gone on for longer than World War One and World War Two combined 
Seems like it's going to be the, uh, God knows, the end of the book or whatever. It's going to go on forever. Um, NN Journal have done some really good stuff on just, just general investigative journalism, which which I really admire. Um, they said today that Sildara are pushing for a, a judicial review of the land deal. Um, quickly um, read out what NN Journal tweeted. Uh, it said a letter setting out their intention, Sildara to send a formal letter, which is promised later this week, which will set out the grounds of their claim. When we have this, we're position, in a position uh, consider responding to the points they've raised. That's from uh, West Northampton Council. They're going to wait until they've you know, seen all the details of what's going to be um, you know, challenged, essentially. Um, James, it wasn't like unexpected because they were, I think Sildara said they were essentially going to do that. That They didn't think that the, the, the you know, decision was right. Um, what, what's your take on it, you know, generally? It's just going to delay things again. I don't think it'll necessarily change the decision they've made. I think the cabinet are very clearly favouring of the bid from from CDNL, based on the fact that the Kildara second bid I don't think even got taken as an alternative for for the council for the cabinet to vote on. So that could potentially be one thing that they they point out as in well, have you given it kind of. Um, every possible thought that this this was a good deal um i suspect you know that the council will be pretty confident they say that they've you know had you know they will have had legal backing and and kind of advice throughout all this um so my hunch is i don't think it will change things but it just means we're gonna have to wait even longer for this whole process to to, to finish i think i can't see the cabinet reversing their decision um so it's just a case of how long will this judicial review take and that is a question i don't really have enough expert expertise to, to offer how long it, it could take it could take weeks it could take months you, you just don't know it is it's astounding when you see structures that have gone up in the time i'm pretty sure this has been going on for the tottenham stadium yeah the tottenham the, these, entire stadium yeah these like amazing architectural feats of wonder and then you look at that east stand which essentially in my opinion when you look at stuff that's gone on at AFC file and stuff like that, borderline non-league development. Like, it's just like, it's embarrassing for the town that it's gone on for this long. It really reflects badly on all of us, no matter, you know, who we are in the sport, the club, and, you know, as Northamptonians. It is mind-bogglingly terrible. Um, well, James, when you think about it, that, that stand, the roof came off, was it season 2013-14? Did it? Yeah, yeah. It was the year before... The title bid, wasn't it? When the stand came, where the roof came off. So we've not yeah. had a proper work, you know, fully working stand for getting on for 10 years. It yeah. is an embarrassment. Yeah. And that, the stand was a nice little stand. I used to sit in there occasionally, really good uh, disabled facilities. The whole stadium was built for simple expansion in a Meccano style. It is just like, just it's mind boggling. If you have a Premier League fan from Tottenham that came down to look at it, I think they would be scratching their heads. But um, to go sort of back to some of the money issue out of it, James uh, Hennigan from the Cron treated that, um, that he's not a, an expert on these things, but uh, if the court finds that the council did not follow the process properly, it can order for it to be done again correctly. Um, could still reach this, the same decision, but I guess if it's ordered to done again, be done again and they, you know, side with still Dara, that's going to throw, you know, even more spanners in the works. Um, Brendan, are you still, is it still... You know, like mind-boggling to you as well. Yeah, I, I remember you saying like, uh, no one's an expert on this. I'd love to find experts on delayed stadium expansions that span two owners. 
KT seems to be quite blasé about this Sildara thing. He's very much like, I'm just going to crack on. Like, it's not my issue. That's to do with some, like, I don't know whether to take comfort in that or not. Um, how confident he seems about it. I remember seeing today that uh, he's he's already cracking on with the builders, isn't he, with, with Buckingham Group. Um, interesting that it's literally the same people as well. I suppose that if they do half the job and get it there, they have to see it through. But yeah, I, I, that will also make, you know, raise an eyebrow to me. Like, just interesting that they're going to come in now and decide to finish it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I keep saying it. I believe it when I say it. When he says we will have the stand finished by this date, as long as he gets the stand finished, whatever we decide to do out the back of it, I'm, I'm, I still think there's potential there. I just want the actual building finished now. You know, it's, all the, for all the reasons we've said week in, week out, whether there's a car park or a fucking water park out the back now, whatever we decide to do with the space can always be up for debate. But let's get the actual stadium finished and then crack on from there. It's quite funny to me because um, we're all like everyone's on tens hooks about like I said, it's a, it's a poor stand with 300 seats, a few boxes. Yeah. I think Luton put their boxes in, in about 1983. We're like 20, 30 years behind the times. They're building a 19,000 seat stadium. It's equivalent of like going on a night out and, and just being slaughtered and having, you know, ordering the world's worst, like a, a, the worst kebab in a dodgy kebab house. And, you know, they don't serve you it, but you're like, you're going to stand there belligerently. I want this kebab. No <laughs> how bad it's going to be? I'm going to get my bloody kebab. That's what it's like. It's just like. But then if you're going on that analogy, it's like everywhere else is closed and like you've got <laughs> you've only got enough money for do you know what I mean? We put yeah. ourselves in this position. Yeah. The 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 only alternative is to go to bed hungry and fucking wait <laughs> for the morning. That's that's it now, isn't it? Like we're, yeah. we're so far down this now. That's why I'm like, let's get the, the minimum the bare minimum done. And if, if that's what it takes, like Katie's like, Okay, I've done my work, now I'll go. Hopefully someone comes in with a bit bit more um imagination I, I know obviously we've had the trust on and stuff on the podcast the last couple of weeks and the one thing I, I, I like really support them doing is I don't I don't want us to be held back in the future on what happens with that land out now it's clearly too much to get them to think about further than three or four years into the future of this club so as long as we kind of you know cross this T then we, we can do that that's fine and then someone who's got more imagination come in and, and get the rest of it over the line do you know what I mean but for now it would just be good to have a four-sided stadium that's it, it's mad how, what that these football fans want something do you know what I mean like all four sides of the stadium um so what you're saying is essentially we've got a kebab we might get some garlic mayo and a couple of chips on the side just I'm saying that. get the kebab and then if you can get home and get the garlic mayo out of the cupboard then do so but we've got to get the fucking kebab first that's what I'm saying that, that speaks to me, Brendan. As a, <laughs> yeah. uh, do we do all of our analogies on, oh, on Northampton Town Football Club in kebab brilliant. terms? Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Luke, and then yeah. afterwards, um, it, it was quite quickly after the judicial review was announced that there was this sort of hasty press conference, um, or a press conference with Calvin. So it was essentially Calvin Thomas up in that braver man than I in, the, in that structure with, uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> he was like tied on or something. Um, to answering some questions and like for me I can understand and I know he's got some issues like um, problems with his not problems he's got some stuff going on personally which he, uh, which is understandable that will probably make you slightly tetchy and uh, or emotional and he obviously he's got some problems with the trust or issues with the trust which I'm not going to go into I don't think it's worthwhile but um what sort of I found a bit 
I don't think he was at his best when he was talking about uses for the land. He got a bit um, tetchy about people that, you know, mentioned a swimming pool and people suggesting things, um, you know, is something quite healthy. And I don't think it should be something that should be quite so, so fractious, Luke. And then, um, you know, Luke, uh, James Hennigan, and you, you had a little tweet with him and James Hennigan said, what, you know, what should go on the thing? And you essentially, Luke said, essentially what the new hotel end is about. And um, James yeah. said, well, you can go to the meeting and talk about it. But the new hotel end has been sitting there for a year with, you know, proven funding routes with, you know, a globally renowned development partner. So it's sort of like going back to square one when you don't need to, Luke. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, well, I, I've never really been into the whole when they do like these conferences or questions and stuff, because I'm someone who feels like the fans voices never really get heard. I know this was to hold it. The trust was brought and made to be the thing to stop that. And then you get and they could bring it to the club to be like, right, this is what the fans want. This is what they said. But it's like you said, like, I, I was actually thinking about this the other day, comparing it to, do you remember Safe Standing? Yeah. When, uh, it, when that first remember. came about. Sorry, right? sorry. Yeah, 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 I was going to get onto that, but you're, you're on it. <laughs> I was going to say. So when it came to Safe Standing, Northampton Town signed up as one of the first clubs to install it into their ground. What happened to that? Like where, where did that go? And then well, I was yeah. I can I can sort of answer that because I was involved with a lot of As stuff. As was I. Yeah, yeah, you were there, James, weren't you? Um, yeah, so, I, this is when I was on the supporters trust and me and you yeah. both went there. That yeah. was twenty sixteen. Nothing's happened. Yeah. So we, we, we went down to the ground with John Zarch, who's the leading expert. There was there was measurements taken, God knows where they are. And um safe standing, you know, we did the survey and then some people I think the club was saying that some people were not, you know, for it. So we had to listen to them, blah, blah, blah. The club then uh, did, in fairness to them, actually canvas the, 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 mem- the members of the North Stand. But since then, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. What's happened? And um, I, I, I was quoted by by someone well-placed that um, safe standing in the North Stand would cost um, circa 90000 which is not a huge um outlay at all and that's just a very basic you know just you know do the safe start uh, you know rail seats in the, in the north stand which would make the, everything so much better these aren't huge amounts of uh, of money and it just it just sort of rankles a little bit for me that you know that the new hotel then wasn't mentioned at all and that you know the their the plans that deal with the site in, in a totality and a quite innovative use of it and try and build the fan base and then kelvin's on the video and he's talking about New, a new fence, a new marquee, a, a roof. It, it just seems like, do you know, like in, in comparison to what's needed when you look at the plans at um, Oxford, at Peterborough, at Luton, they're building 19,500, 18,000, 19,000 stadia. And it just, Luke, do you know what I'm saying? It just seems no, like no, yeah. too it's, small scale. Well, I just feel like, you know, I, I do get this. There's a whole aura around the club right now with, you know, we've got our... You know, we're looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we yeah. finally got a land deal in place. It looks like we're finally, after years, I can't even tell you how many years it's been, it's finally over. We might actually get a stand. And I do get, well, like Brown said earlier, it's like, at first, let's get a stand finished. But if he's going to come out and say, like, to people, like, what should we include at the football stadium? As a fan, as much as, like, it would be cool to have stuff and, you know, like, bars and, and yeah, I saw someone about, say, like, um, water park or, like, uh, a little uh, five-side pictures and stuff. I think if you look at um, Saints, Saints actually ha- let their ground out to hire for gigs. And so do MK. MK also do it for like rugby, uh, World Cup and all this sort of stuff. 
And if you actually look at how much they make on top of their financial football in seasons from what they do, it sort of showcases a lot of why they are where they are now in terms of like how they've progressed and how they can fund their teams to go forward. And I think if you had a gig venue or a stage, the amount of stuff you could hold there in the summer when there's no football going on, so you could still make money over the summer when there is like the break. And in the fan zone, there's loads of there's various exactly. street food, you know, there's various things you can do it, you can use it for. It's about multi-use of the stadium exactly. outside exactly. of match day. And I don't think, well, the East End doesn't really do it apart from a few boxes. A car park won't do it. It's sort of going on to that next step. I think we're sort of almost going back to when Six Fields was created and, and trying to make some fairly nice facilities. But it's that jump, isn't it, from unsustainable club to you know working towards sustainability that I'm I'm concerned that might not happen, but we'll see. I guess the, the, the thing Go is, ahead. we can talk about these things until the cows come home. And I, yeah. I think it's it's brilliant that the club are committing to do this. It's a good idea. I think credit has to go to Kelvin, to to Tom Cliff, and to James Whiting for agreeing yes. to do it. But I'm not convinced that it is. I, I need to be convinced that it's not just lip service, like yeah. it has been for a few years. You know, if people are going to come to these ideas and suggest ideas, we need to know. What's the commitment of the club? What's the commitment of the owners? Because we can make yeah. ideas, but if they're not yeah. gonna, if they're not realistic, if they don't see them as realistic, it's yeah. a waste of everyone's time. So yeah. I need to know from the chairman what is his level of commitment? What is he going to be doing? What does he see as what his commitment is? What does he see as, as part of stuff that can be fan-led? You know, yeah. can we we need to set those parameters before we even start thinking about ideas because otherwise it's just a waste of everyone's time and we yeah. like you say you know I, I, I you know and we share that frustration tom of having been there and done this a few years ago with safe standing yeah. and seeing nothing progress now of course there could be there, there are going to be reasons why that hasn't progressed but you do get fatigue after it for a while when you suggest mm. ideas and in fairness they are listened to but then just nothing happens yeah. so we need to actually establish from the owners what their level of commitment is, what they think the level of commitment needs to be from fan-led projects before we even start thinking about ideas. Yeah, well, that's that was um, quite plain with the, the new hotel, and they were very interested, but it had to be 100% not fan-led, fan-run, fan-organised, and everything. And, you know, uh, realistically, when you look at what Stevenage did with their new stand, the club was was was, was front and centre. You know, the club are all, have always got to make a, a, an investment in time and, and money to an extent. And that is where things often fall down. And what I would like to see is a huge amount of effort has gone into this land deal, right? Which is an enabling deal, which is a, you know, in layman's terms, is essentially a the logistics will pay for a new stand or whatever. Something will pay for something else. So why can't that be that that vigor for that athletics track land to build something for all of us using an enabling deal um, that, that wouldn't cost the club too much money and would bring money in? I want to see that a matching of vigour for for that and something that we can all buy into rather than just um, the, the the wider land deal. But um, yeah, let's not not get too heavy into that. We, we all need to shoot off now. But um, thanks, guys, for uh, joining us as usual. And we'll talk again next week, no doubt. Thanks a lot. Cheers, thanks man. Lot. Bye. Thank you. Cheers, guys. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.